0: This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. Welcome to The Real Reel, where I take you behind the Instagram reel and into the real lives of entrepreneurs, content creators, and anyone who inspires me and may inspire you too. I'm your host, Natalie Barbu, and let's get into it.
1: Founders need to not have ego so yeah. many times. Right, like you need to be willing to wake up one morning, realize that everything you've been doing is just wrong and just start again. And do it uh, almost emotionless and not sad about it because it's part of the journey. You'll have to do it so many times. So it's almost a struggle with yourself and the way you're wired because we're all like a little bit different and so many of our weaknesses are just so, so hard to deal with. But it's almost like you need to have so much self-awareness of what those weaknesses are and not lean to those but fully lean to the strengths. just make sure that you're, you're always moving forward.
0: Hi everyone. And welcome back to the real, real podcast. I am finally home from Mexico and I am happy to report that it didn't thunderstorm every single day. It actually was pretty good weather. Um, The first two days that we were there, it was a little gray and cloudy and I'm not going to lie. It was a little chilly. There were many moments where I did not want to get into the pool because it was just so cold because there was like no sun at all. And it was very cloudy, but it didn't really thunderstorm. It, it stormed for about few minutes, maybe an hour for the first two days. And then after that, it was actually pretty good weather. So I'm not going to complain about it. It was so much better than I could have asked for. And I was just very, very happy that it didn't, you know, storm the entire time. So it was actually a really, really great trip. And it was one of those trips that was super, super relaxing and I was actually able to unplug for the most part. So I thought that that was really nice. And if you have no idea what I'm talking about, if you listened to last week's episode, uh, I was very stressed about the weather forecast and I was going on a family vacation to Cancun. But as you guys just heard, everything was okay. And like I said, it was just a very, very good time to relax and unwind. I actually really, really, really did unplug. I feel like I feel like for the most part, I was really present. I was in the moment. I was hanging out with my family. I was hanging out with Keon. It was honestly such a great trip and it was one of those where like we didn't have a schedule we didn't have anything to do the only thing that we had on the calendar was like our dinner reservations and it was just really really fun I ended up vlogging a little bit of it but I didn't pressure myself to vlog and honestly I'm not sure if I'm going to post it because I feel like I didn't get that much footage and I feel like it's not going to be entertaining so I might just you know post the Instagram photos and that's it. Maybe make some of the footage that I got into a TikTok. I don't really know. I'm really trying to get into TikTok guys. So be sure to follow me on there. I It's just one of those things. It's like, oh my gosh, it's another platform. But I know that's the direction to go because as you guys have heard, probably uh, Instagram is now focusing on being a video app, not a photo app. There's a lot (laughs) that I feel about that. I don't, I don't like it. I will say, I think that it's actually pretty stupid. (laughs) I think, I think that Instagram should focus on being a photo app and also stay in their own lane instead of copying other apps. But you know what? that's just my two cents on it because Instagram is going to do what it wants to do. So you kind of just got to play the game and keep up and video is where it's at. So I have to start getting into TikTok because I'm so used to long form content that for me to get into short term content, it's like a little challenging, I guess. But Nevertheless, I <laughs> I was really able to unplug. That was the moral of that story. And I wanted to do a high and low of the week. So my high would actually be that I was unplugging, that I was able to relax, that I was able to not work. Because when I tell you, my vacations are very very rarely actually vacations I feel kind of bad saying that because it's like I have the best job where I can travel whenever I want or wherever I want I don't have to you know show up at an office but I feel like my vacations are very very work focused and they're very work heavy and I never really unplug fully like even on airplanes I like buy the wi-fi and I work on the plane or like I always make sure that I I do a little bit of work in the morning I never ever block like full days off on my calendar like every single day in Mexico I have a call but it was only like one call or two calls a day so it wasn't bad but you know I I just I never feel like I can actually take time off for myself Um and even though I did have those like one or two calls, I truly was able to unplug. I wasn't on my laptop at all. I took the calls on my phone. Like it was actually a very, very, very nice trip. And it's one of those things that I, I usually don't have. Like I really never have that. I mean, the next trips that I have, I'm going to New York city next week, which I am so excited about. I cannot wait to be back in New York. I feel like I just, I miss her so much. <laughs> I really, really do. I feel like I could cry thinking about New York city, but I'm going back next week. And like, it's going to be fully work mode. You know, I'm trying to get as much done as I can. And like, anytime I, you know, travel to LA, it's fully work mode. If I go home, I, I'm still working, you know? So it was, it was really nice. It was really nice not to be on my laptop. I, I did feel stressed, but it was okay. It was, it was, it was a good relaxing trip. And I highly encourage anyone, if you feel overworked, if you feel like you can never take time off, I really think that it's important and it recharges you and it re-energizes you. And it's honestly probably better for your productivity in the long run rather than like getting burnt out. I talked about this a little bit on my Instagram. I posted a picture of Isla Mujeres. It was like one of the prettiest islands that I've been on, but posted a picture there and I kind of talked about how I was, you know, unplugged and I was resting and I was relaxed and I just felt really guilty. Like I really, really felt guilty about doing that. And I was like, that's okay because I'm avoiding burnout, you know, like I don't want to be burnt out and then not be able to work for a while or feel, you know, completely out of control and not able to like take control of my own life and take time off if I need it. So I think it's actually really healthy to do. And I highly encourage anyone to do that if they're feeling like, you know, you can't take a break, like you absolutely can. I, I really do believe that. I feel like I hustle culture is like, Too toxic sometimes, where it's like telling you that you can never take a break, you can never take time off, you can never take time for yourself or for the people that love you, and you really can. So, that was my high, was actually feeling, you know, rested and relaxed. And then I would say that my low this week was that my AC was broken when we got back. I didn't have AC for about three days. And in, I mean, I live in Miami, so the weather here is hot. It is very hot, it is 85 degrees and humid at all times. So, for it to be 85 and humid outside, it's not even like opening a window would have made it any better. So for three days, uh, thankfully I was with Keon, but we didn't have AC and I don't, it's my AC is like pretty old, but I don't know. There was something with the compressor that was broken. I'm not going to get into the logistics because you know, that's just so boring. And I don't even really fully understand what it was, but thankfully Keon was here. And I feel bad saying that. Cause he's like, Oh, so you're happy that we suffered together. And it was like, honestly, yes. Like I know that might sound selfish, but I would rather have you here than be alone. I feel like being alone would have sucked. I would have been hot and miserable. At least we kind of like made a day out of it. You know, like we went out, we did stuff. We didn't want to be in our apartment. So it was really fun, but that was a very, very, very um, low point. I guess I felt so miserable. Like I always sleep with the covers on. Like I'm one of those people that like, I cannot sleep without sleeping underneath the covers, but I just like couldn't sleep underneath the covers because it was 81 degrees inside my apartment. So just picture that. That is what the thermostat read. It was 81 to 82 degrees for three whole days. So yeah, that was not very fun, but I feel like that's like not even really a low because it's all fixed now and it's all good. So we're good, but that was definitely a low of my week. And I wanted to talk about this episode. So this episode is with Gotti and I am so excited for it. I think that you guys are going to absolutely love it. And it's going to be one of your favorite episodes. So Gotti is the co-founder of the XX Accelerator program. And a lot of you guys know that my company, Rella, has been applying to a bunch of these programs. If you don't know, an accelerator pretty much is a program that helps accelerate the growth of your startup in a way. So pretty much they have like weekly courses. They bring in professionals that have already been there, done that, you know, people to guide you, people to help you. They bring in investors to kind of talk to you about what investors look at. It's pretty much like a, a startup course, like a crash course for startups to really accelerate the growth but not only that a lot of accelerators actually give you money so I believe for the XX they are giving you $50,000 it's an investment and they do take equity in your company so a lot of accelerators like YC for example will give you I think $120,000 but they take six percent of your company which to me that's actually kind of a lot taking six percent of your company for 120,000 is a pretty big number but a lot of people think like Well, when you go through an accelerator, they really help you grow quicker. You know, it automatically like values your company higher because, you know, you seem like respected or like it, you're, you're established, you know, whatever, like people, I feel like if you go through YC, your evaluation automatically goes up because people think that YC is like the best accelerator. It had things like Uber, Dropbox, Postmates, I believe, I think it was Postmates or like Instacart, you know, all of them went through YC and it's like come up with these unicorns. So people are like, oh my God, I, I, if you're a part of YC, then you're probably going to be, you know, come such a big company. And so you're like automatically evaluated at a higher rate. I feel like I'm saying really boring stuff right now, but anyways, he is the co-founder of the XX Accelerator. So <laughs> that's that's what I was trying to get at. We have faced a lot of rejection though, I mean, with accelerator programs. So it was really amazing to hear what his company looks for in applicants. And I was definitely taking notes during this interview and I will be applying a lot of his advice to my business moving forward. Gotti was actually born and raised in Uruguay and it wasn't until he moved to the United States for college that the entrepreneurship spark was lit inside of him. In 2018, he founded XX, which is an eight-week accelerator program for founders building for the new normal. So far, they've actually accepted over 30 startups and their goal is 20,000 startups in the next decade which is crazy, but I think they can do it. And like I said, they offer a $50,000 investment and mentorship with experienced founders, which I just think is incredible. And they're based in San Francisco. So, you know, it's very much immersed in that startup world and the startup culture. I really wanna take a trip to San Francisco, just make it a complete work trip and try to, you know, talk to as many people as I can out there, but I feel like it's super intimidating. So we'll see if I make that journey. But if any of you are from San Francisco, let me know. In this episode, we dive into how to use smart networking to cut through the noise, insider tips to stand out on your accelerator application, common mistakes that new founders make, and the personality traits every single entrepreneur needs. I know that you guys are going to absolutely love this episode. It's one that I honestly would recommend listening to multiple times, especially if you are interested in entrepreneurship or you are already into it, I think that it's one of those episodes that you need to listen to and take some notes. Honestly, I would take some notes to this episode because I think it's just super, super valuable. So without further ado, let's get into the episode. introducing ways new anti-frizz cream it is like a superhero for your hair it provides immediate frizz control that lasts up to 72 hours i actually brought it on a trip with me and my friend borrowed it and she purchased it right then and there because it was that good it's not just about taming frizz, it also provides heat protection up to 450 degrees, reduces interpair split ends, quenches dry hair with intense hydration, and according to a consumer perception study, 90% of participants agreed that their hair looked less frizzy after using it. I can definitely contest that. And while you're at it, check out Way's other bestsellers like the leave-in conditioner, which I also use, detox shampoo, fragrances, hair oils, and hair gloss, they're all essential for achieving that salon-worthy look at home. So, you can frizz free up your schedule with WAY. Go to T H E O U A I dot com and enter promo code Real for fifteen percent off any product. That's T H E O U A I dot com, promo code Real Real. Earnin is a financial technology company, not a bank. Subject to your available earnings daily max, pay period max, and location. See earnin.com slash TOS for details. Bank products are issued by Evolve Bank and Trust, member FDIC. Hi, Gaudi. Thank you so much for coming on my podcast.
1: Of course. Thank you for having me.
0: I'm excited to have you on. Talk about startups. Talk about XX. I think it's going to be a really great episode. So. Before we start talking about the topics, I wanted to start setting the record straight, which is some stereotypes, some assumptions, and then you're going to tell me if they're true or false and feel free to expand on them. So, oh, I like that. Yeah. So the first one is you need to raise money to start a successful startup.
1: I've seen a few examples that prove that's not true, uh, though it's definitely an exception, right? Like, I guess it depends on whether you're trying to start a startup or a business, but like a small business. But if you're really trying to grow fast. Um, external capital can be a very powerful tool.
0: Yeah, I feel like bootstrapping is ideal in the sense that you can keep your equity and control, but it's super hard to scale. And especially yeah. in if you're in technology or anything remotely technical, I think you really need that extra capital to grow. It's, it's going to be really hard to scale your company at the way that you want it.
1: For sure. Yeah.
0: And then the next one is growing a business requires a lot of networking.
1: Perhaps smart networking for sure, because it's going to be pretty, pretty hard for you to succeed. So it's always good to have the right people alongside you.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But yeah, not not the not the intense networking where you're just spending all of your days trying to meet new people and ultimately not focusing on building a company.
0: Yeah. What do you consider smart networking?
1: Yeah, I think it's like when, when you're just starting to build a company, there's 100% going to be a ton of noise. Mm-hmm. Um, there's going to be conference you can go to. There's going to be different events. There's going to be different people that you can meet. There's going to be investors that may be reaching out to you, different founders that are going to ask for mentorship or like a 30 minute coffee chat or stuff like that. You just got to be pretty smart that most of it will actually not add value to the company that you're building. So you need to be mindful of where you're choosing to spend your time. And many times meeting someone is very important and will help you a lot in the short term and the long term. But so many more times you're just spending your time in events, conferences that are literally meaningless and, do not change anything towards the goals that you're trying to achieve.
0: Yeah, I actually signed up for a conference just because I was it was on Zoom. It was like during the pandemic. I was like, OK, I'm going to yeah. I'm going to join these events, these virtual events. And I feel like the idea is good. Like, you're like, oh, I get to hear from all these founders or I can have a chance to speak to them. But I mean, it, honestly, like I hate to say this, but it was kind of a waste of time. I was yeah, I was just like, I could have been doing so much more in these 20 20- 12 hours that this, like, virtual conference was going on, and I feel like it didn't actually help that much. That's why I I love listening to podcasts, because I feel like I can, like, work and listen and still, like, gain value from it. So true. Yeah. Rather than dedicating time to, like, attend a conference or a virtual event.
1: No, absolutely.
0: Yeah. Do you have any events or conferences that you think are worth it, though? Or do you kind of write all of them off?
1: I don't go to events, but... I'm not an expert on events either. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm sure there must be so many cool events there uh, that I'm missing out on that I'm just not going to. But yeah, I, I don't know.
0: Okay, that's, yeah, that's I, fine. <laughs> I have
1: none. Yeah.
0: And the next one is you need a co-founder for a successful startup.
1: No, not not at all. Uh, you don't. It's just recommended. Mm-hmm. It's very, very lonely if you don't sometimes. uh, You might as well try finding someone that Truly resonates with what you're building, and try following the journey alongside someone else, Mm -hmm. because sometimes it can get pretty pretty hard. And if you're just by yourself, it gets challenging.
0: Yeah, I I definitely think that co-founders aren't necessarily necessary depending on what you're doing, but for a lot of people, they kind of are necessary. You know, like I think yeah, if you don't have the skills needed to start something on your own, like let's say you're starting a tech company and you don't have a technical co-founder, I don't think it's you're never going to succeed or anything like that, but it's a lot harder. You know, I feel like no, for it, sure. it helps. It helps <laughs> a lot.
1: Yeah, no, in that sense, absolutely. Like for non-technical co-founders, it's always ideal if they can find the CTO. Um, one can argue like, fine, I can just hire my first employee to be an engineer, etc. cetera. Um, and that's true, but I don't think anyone will work as hard for your own company as another co-founder will. Mm-hmm. Um, there's just some co-founders that actually have enough of all skills so that they can figure it out. On their own and many examples of companies do that but it's still not advisable in my opinion
0: yeah no i i agree and were you always interested in entrepreneurship and startups or like how did you get into this industry
1: i don't think i was so for context i was born and raised in uruguay Um, so i spent my entire life back there and if you now i live in san francisco and if you can imagine the the ecosystem there is nowhere near uh, the experience that I've had in, in the U.S., in San Francisco specifically. So I, I I just didn't grow up thinking about startups at all. It didn't come across. I didn't learn about them. Um, so I, it's definitely not an interest that, that has always been true. I feel like when I came to the U.S. for college, uh, I just started getting myself immersed in this world. Like I just started learning about it and fell in love, I guess. But I, I think it always was a fit with my personality. It's just like I wasn't super aware of that.
0: Mm-hmm. And when you came here to school, how did you kind of get into that world? Were you like joining clubs about it? Was it, was your school heavily promoting it or yeah? what was that like? I think it
1: was a lot of luck and me actively trying to meet the right people. Again, I think that's, that's true. That was true for myself as well, right? Like at the beginning I had zero, I had zero network. I didn't meet, no, anyone, no of that stuff. So I started going to these events and honestly, it just made me feel absolutely lost. It was 100% 100% a waste of time. And then I think I had like this kind of like mindset shift and I started just trying to meet people that I feel like would have been super interesting to meet them more personally. Um and I think that way I ended up meeting my first mentor. Uh he's called James Lee. He's a founder of a Y community company and honestly just meeting with him for like a few hours that relationship started growing and he honestly just showed me a world that I didn't know existed. Um, and I think the rest is just history I kind of like started working first at a company called WeFunder, which literally helps startups get funded there I met hundreds of founders I was working like and everything else just like I was part of that world already I think that that one mentor uh, was honestly key in, in what my life ended up becoming
0: yeah how did you find him I feel like a lot of people talk about mentors and like finding a mentor but I don't how did you find your mentor was it like a Hey, will you be my mentor or was it just an organic relationship that formed? Yeah.
1: So this is interesting because that guy writes a blog and I had read a blog post about him, like like that he wrote about how he helps people find mentors and like his tips and advice. So I was reading his blog post and I think I kind of like very mindfully tried applying every single thing he said to to him. I, I just met him like in this event from from college. Actually, like there was this one large event where like a lot of students were meant to meet like professionals. And I remember James only went for like a few minutes at the beginning of the conference because he was doing a favor to someone else. But I knew he was going there. I was the first person to go talk to him, talk to him and immediately left. Um, so we just met some other day and kind of like it kept growing from there. It, I think it has to be reciprocal. He was honestly very open to helping me, very openly to, like, listen to my struggles, my challenges back then, which were honestly pretty mundane, but still was extremely helpful. And that just kind of, like, started building a relationship. And from there, we just stayed in touch. And I think at that point, at this point, we're just friends.
0: Yeah, that's, I feel like good advice, though, is finding someone. Like, let's say you knew that you wanted to talk to him. So you went to this place specifically to speak to him, and then you literally oh, yeah. left,
1: like... 100%. 100%, like, definitely... I mean, the word mentor, I don't love it necessarily. I don't know necessarily what it means. I think it's just important to understand that you want to meet people that are a few steps ahead of you in the journey that you're choosing to go through. Um, And honestly, try clicking with them. So many of the people you'll meet that potentially may be helpful at a more personal human level, you just don't connect with. And at that point, it's kind of like pretty much useless. So you're probably going to spend a ton of time trying to meet people that you actually resonate with until you find someone that you actually want to stay in touch with and the advice that they have to share actually makes a lot of sense for who you are and the way you're wired.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's it's always awkward because you want to reach out, but you don't want to just act like, okay, can I, can I just meet with you so I can ask you a ton of questions? Because I think it needs to be somewhat of a two-way relationship. You know, it can't just be I just want to ask you questions and that's it. And, you know, just pick your brain. Like, I feel like a lot of times for mentor and mentee relationships, it's it's a two way thing. You know, like you want to actually enjoy the person you want to actually want to help that person. You want to have a conversation. I, yeah. I always feel awkward just reaching out and being like, hey, let's talk so I can ask you questions. Like, I'd so much rather the first conversation just like learn about each other before anyone asks like any technical questions or advice or anything like that.
1: That's that's so fair. I think it's like now that I I'm starting to be on the other side of things, and a lot of people reach out to me for advice. It's challenging because you you start realizing that you're honestly a little bit too busy, and when someone reaches out like with this open-ended question of like, "Oh, I want to just get to know your entire story," sometimes you just immediately ignore that because you don't understand where the where where that person is coming from. You have zero context on the on the call and you just don't have time for it um so it's it's kind of like that trade-off right like how do you actually get this person's attention start that conversation but at the same time like not make it feel extremely transactional in which you're just going with a bullet list of questions that you're just trying to ask back to back yeah yeah yeah
0: and so you worked for one company and now you are the co-founder of xx is that right yeah one of the co-founders so how did you help start that or how did you get the idea or start it or
1: What was that like? Yeah, so we we're we're three partners at this point, and their journey has been pretty, pretty interesting. So for for context, XX started as an internal project inside WeFunder, and G1, the other founding partner, she used to be head of community at WeFunder when XX got started. And how she did start it was basically like after she learned how little venture capital was going to female founders, she just saw that only 2% was going to, to, to women that they were starting companies, and she just hated that number, uh, raised a very small fund only to invest in six companies back then. And the check size was $20,000. But I think that was when the magic got started. and We just kept doing it again and again and again and again, like the beginning used to be with themes. So the first cohort was for female founders. Then we actually transitioned the second cohort to, to invest in immigrant founders. But after that, we learned that we didn't want to invest in one specific type of people. So for the cohorts after that, we just stopped uh, focusing on those themes. And now we're just investing in, in in the best founders that we come across at this stage that that we're interested in.
0: Yeah.
1: I, I wouldn't say XX is like an established fund or an established accelerator or any of that. I think we're still learning a ton. I, for every single cohort that we do, we change enough things so that we're learning so, so, so much. And we still haven't come across that model that we just want to replicate and replicate all the time. But yeah, I think we're getting closer to that point.
0: Yeah. I mean, I feel like the fact that you even have a fund and you're helping startups is already like really cool, even if it's not like a huge accelerator or anything like that. Um, Yeah.
1: Yeah, no, for sure. No, it's 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 the greatest privilege of my life.
0: Yeah. When did you start? How long has it been going on?
1: The first cohort started like late 2018. Yeah so it's three years. gonna be two years and a half yeah
0: yeah that's that's awesome and there are all three of you on the side that determines who gets into this accelerator or are you guys kind of all doing that or is there one person that really decides
1: it's, it's definitely all three of us again i i think we're we're getting to that point in which we're starting to have more defined roles each one of us mm-hmm. um so personally my role is i I'm, I'm the one that focuses a lot more on, on the fundraising side so I make sure that we have enough money to invest in startups in the first place and manage the relationship with 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 investors in the fund and raise all the subsequent funds and all that stuff. G one, I think she's kind of like the heart of XX. Uh, so she brings a lot of like the personality, the culture, the values. She's the one that kind of like is leading the actual program and the experience that founders have. And then Daniel is more like the the lead mentor. He's the one that will working with every single startup that we invest in that is more focused on that advice side of things but when it comes to the decision of which startups we will pick um it's, it's 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 a process that the three of us are part of
0: mm-hmm. i feel like it's like a college admission like <laughs> you're all in a room like deciding who yeah. gets in who you want to follow up with
1: <laughs> no uh, that's i think that's 100 true because i mean we're investing in founders that are just getting started right so there's not a lot to show for. There's not a ton of metrics. There's a ton, a ton of numbers or growth, all of that stuff. Like we, we like saying that we have like this process of like the founders that will end up picking, but a lot of it has to do with this gut instinct of which founders are which we have the most conviction for, right? And we try informing that feeling and we try focusing on different aspects of the founding team alongside the market and the product that they're building but truly, is like, okay, how do we spot raw talent here? And mm-hmm. it's almost at the similar stage of like someone starting college before they go through go to live their entire lives.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's really similar. There's a lot of parallels, and like I was going to ask, what are some key things that you look at? And I'm sure that there are some key things, but like you said, it's such a gut instinct, and you're dealing with people, and you're dealing with yeah companies that haven't started yet. So I'm sure that it's really. a human to human interaction and like gut feeling not really like okay well they have this metric this metric this metric
1: (laughs) yeah no for sure
0: are there key key things that you look at or is it really just that like okay we're just gonna see like what we feel about it
1: no we do we do because again you don't want to fall into the trap of like oh i just feel super strong about this founder or not because one you realize it's just there's so many biases Mm -hmm. involved in making this kind of decision Luckily, we're three very different people. So we have three different, like, we have different kinds of eyes and we're all aware of the, of the ones that we have. But some, some key things that we look at. So again, like we, we say we want to spot these raw talented founders, but what the hell does that mean? <laughs> Pragmatically, as we were talking early on, there needs to be someone technical on the team for sure. So many, like most of the startups that apply have someone technical and we won't invest in them. But The opposite is very tricky because when the founding team cannot build at the stage in which we're at, we just personally don't think how it can be useful through 12 weeks, but they need to be super smart. A lot of the founders that we invest in don't have that much traction yet. Like Mm -hmm. they they have some kind of product. uh, Some people are using it. They don't really understand why those people use it. So many times, there's so many different personas in the early adopters and like using it for different reasons. So like the founders cannot even explain why people want what they're building. Many times they're about to launch, um, or they have some, some users, but it's literally not growing anywhere. Um, so it, it, really doesn't come to that. Obviously when founders do have traction, et cetera, it's, it's a lot more interesting. There's a lot more stuff that we can talk about and it, it makes that conversation a bit easier, but honestly, I think it's more challenging to, to decide to invest in founders when they don't have that to show for. And it, they may just be like one month before that, two months before that, but you still want to be the be the fund that takes them through the 12 weeks and, and gets them to that point if, if, if you actually have conviction for them. So I think it, it comes to those like non-obvious things of like, okay, the founding team has to be brilliant. They need to be formidable. Many times, even if you don't have a product, it's so easy to just focus on the right things, understand the market that you're going to be working on and just be extremely informed about it. There's nothing better than reading through an application and learning new things
0: mm-hmm.
1: through that application, right? Like you're learning about a, a new problem. Like they're sharing a unique insight on the market that you just never saw before. And you can actually agree on or perhaps not necessarily agree on, but it's it's, it's interesting enough that you can, like, you can get convinced or stuff like that. And that, that leads me to like another market. So many founders are clearly very smart. They're working on interesting stuff, but just the market is non-existent. And in those kinds of scenarios, it's also a very hard decision for us to to invest in that company. Because ultimately, if the market is not big enough, there's not that much in free space for, for founders to experiment, to learn. And ultimately, like they just won't be able to to build a huge company, at least not in that market. So they will have to iterate to something else. And many, in many of those cases, we just choose to not invest, stay in touch and guide them to that point in which they're... They're, they're getting to a more startup kind of version of what they're trying to build.
0: Yeah, there's so much that goes into it. And there's so much that can go wrong also. You know, like it's, you can have a good gut feeling or everything can be good on paper. And then yeah. it just doesn't do well.
1: But it's interesting because from the fun side of things, that's absolutely true. And you do want to get better in every single decision you make. But ultimately, like the only way funds succeed is by spotting one or two companies that will continue to become like a billion dollar business. Right. And like in early stage funds, how that works, is like it's a numbers law. So like if you invest in enough in, in enough startups, making it like knowing how to make those decisions, ultimately you just want to spot one or those like a few companies that will pay for the entire fund. So you can ultimately pay back to the investors that believed in you in the first place.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not like every single one has to be successful.
1: For sure. For sure. And and you get used to that, right? Like it's, it's, it's it's a weird thing. Like most of the companies you'll invest in in five years from now are likely to fail. Yeah. It's, 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 it's an interesting, weird thing.
0: What are some of the biggest mistakes that founders usually make that you've seen working with startups? Like, do you see anything that any big red flags or any mistakes that you're like, okay, like that's definitely something that causes a lot of startups to fail.
1: Honestly, like there's, there's so many different factors, but the, the one that comes to mind that to me is pretty interesting is that balance between conviction and stubbornness. Cause you need, you need it, right? You need to be stubborn and you need to have a ton of conviction in what you're building. But there's a very thin line that if you pass it, you're in deep trouble. Uh, if you find the right balance, like you you are where you want to be. Uh, and what I mean is if like that, that thin line is like so many founders are just so, so stubborn about what they're trying to build to the extent that they're spending months, even years, many times trying to prove to the world that what they're building is that one magical thing that no one else is capable of seeing. Sometimes that is true. Sometimes you need to be opposite to what the herd is saying, but so many more times you're just not seeing what's there for you to understand. Like you're just not growing. People not really want it and stuff like that. Um, and you have so many different signals and opportunities to take that information, adapt, and just build a different version of what you're trying to get to, or just do something completely different. So when you have that perfect balance of conviction with willingness to adapt, then you are super convicted in what you're trying to build, but ultimately willing to adapt and willing to change. Most of the founders don't have that. like a lot of the founders will have a lot of conviction to the point that they're just not taking any information from the outside world and ultimately fail because of themselves
0: Mm -hmm. yeah i feel like with that it's like you think your idea is the best as you should because you know you're trying to convince everyone else but yeah you have to adapt because there's so many things that come your way i mean even something like covid for example like that probably rocked a ton of startups. I mean, it, it completely altered the entire world. But like, I'm sure there's a lot of startups that maybe their business model didn't work anymore because everyone was quarantined or maybe, you know, they had to pivot yeah. their strategy. And I feel like if you're not willing to adapt. then For
1: sure. And, and And related to that, I think like founders need to like need to not have ego so yeah. many times, right? Like you need to be willing to wake up one morning, realize that everything you've been doing is just wrong and just start again and do it. Uh, almost emotionless and not sad about it because it's part of the journey you'll have to do it so many times so it's almost a struggle with yourself and the way you're wired because we're all like a little bit different and so many of our weaknesses are just so so hard to deal with but it's almost like you need to have so much self-awareness of what those weaknesses are and not lean to those but fully lean to the strengths and just make sure that you're you're always moving forward
0: Mm -hmm. Do you think that there's like a personality trait that a lot of founders have, or do you think anyone can be an entrepreneur?
1: Great, great. Um, it's, it's so important. Uh, I think the best founders are just cockroaches. I've heard that expression.
0: I, I've never I, I heard that before.
1: <laughs> but it's just so true. Like the best founders are just f- cockroaches. They'll never give up. Like ultimately, like, most of the founders, it's, it's not even their fault, but most of the founders will fail because they just choose to fail. The best founders spend so much time just not giving up, just continue to try, willing to that, for sure, being flexible, willing to learn new things and proving different iterations of, of where you're trying to get to. But ultimately, like as long as you keep moving forward, you're, you're onto something you're, and you're better than most other, most other people. And I think that's a lot of like what XX believes in as well, because we're investing in founders so early on, in uh, so many times, we're going to be, if not the first check, one of the first checks in these startups and ultimately many of them will be first time founders. Many of them will be just like, obviously all of them are just starting and it's just a very lonely, hard, mental challenging journey. So related to that, just having those foundations, having that support system, mentors that will be there when you wake up at 2 a.m. fully lost and you just need to call someone or a group of founders that actually understand what what you're going through, et cetera, that you can rely on and jump on a call once in a while. That's critical, right? Like mm-hmm. a way to keep that mental sanity through the journey is so important because ultimately you just don't want to give up. That's the most important thing. So XX is a lot about that. It's not just about great advice. It's not just about focusing, like help you focus on the right things and accelerate that growth. But it's also just a very human community where you're going to meet other really cool people and you're going to feel less alone and a little bit more close to other people that actually understand you. I think that's that's a lot of like what the we are trying to focus on sex when it comes to defining our own personality.
0: Yeah, I love that. I mean, I think I've never heard the expression that founders are like cockroaches before, (laughs) which is funny, but I do, I, I get it. And I also think like a lot of people look at failure as like very bad. Like it's like, if you fail on one thing, then, you know, you're just a failure in general. And like, you might as well give up now. And I think, like you said, that does set apart like a good founder from a not good founder, like a bad founder. Yeah.
1: No, I think it's, it needs to be a balance in that sense as well, in which failure is not necessarily something bad. Yeah. The moment you fail, that's not the end of your life. But you need to, you need to hate failing, right? right. Uh, you don't want to fail. Um, and that's also something quite important. Yeah. Like, you just don't want to give up. Ultimately, don't spend your entire life building something that people don't give a shit about. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, like, the best founders will just do whatever it takes to not fail if they really believe in something.
0: Yeah, I completely agree. I think that that really sets people apart and people are too quick to give up. And I think that kind of tells something. Like if you're giving up that quickly, then you probably didn't believe that much in your product to begin with, I feel like. If you yeah. give up at the first sign of failure, the first like struggle or hardship.
1: That could be true. I think it also just goes down to like, there's different kinds of people, right? Yeah. Maybe you you that was the one thing that you had the most conviction for in your entire life. Uh, but you're taking external opinions too seriously. You're taking the feedback from your parents that have nothing, that have no idea what you're onto, like like what you're up to and stuff like that. Uh, and and you just change your opinion. You 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 cha- You you lose that conviction because of external factors too fast. And that that honestly is one of the most dangerous things. Um, I think that's very true for founders when they're in that fundraising stage, right? Mm-hmm. When when, you, when, you're, when you're capable of losing conviction so fast and you're talking to so many investors that have no clue of what you're building, really, they only met you for like 30 minutes, one hour, uh, and they're saying that no, and you're just taking it, like, don't take it too seriously, you know, like, obviously, like, fundraising can be a very powerful experience, and it can teach you a lot. Um, but so many founders will just lose complete conviction of what they're building just because they're receiving no after no after no from these investors that perhaps didn't spend a minute trying to really understand what the founders are trying to build. Right. And that's, that's a very usual common common way in which founders will end up giving up because fundraising gets really hard. They don't get money and they just, yeah. I mean, they lose their way through that. Like ultimately they can fail through different ways,
0: but. Yeah. And I mean, a lot of startups obviously are fundraising and need to raise money. I think that they need to raise money. So what are some mistakes you see when people are trying to raise money? Like or speaking to investors, like, do you see any common mistakes there?
1: Oh, for sure. A few things. One, you, you need to be either in fundraising more, mode or, or or not, right? That's, a, that's such an important heuristic because it, it helps you in so many different ways. One, like so many investors will have so are, are, are very opinionated on what you're building. Um, don't go back after every single investor meeting that gives you feedback and change entirely your product, right? Like, you're you're on fundraising mode. You'll understand that you'll you you can have a list of all the reasons why investors are choosing not to invest, and make sure that you're optimizing for those. Make sure that your pitch addresses those issues in the story, etc. And that, that that's one thing. Like too many too many founders take investor feedback as the most important thing when it really isn't the only feedback that matters. Is the one from users. Two, it's so exhausting. Fundraising literally, sh- like when when if you're trying to fundraise successfully it does and it should take your entire mind space. So when you're trying to fundraise and do something else, it's just very hard and you're probably not gonna do a good job at either of those things. Uh, so just make sure that like, you're you're giving yourself a specific timeline, three months, six months, and you're just fundra- fundraising there. Like you may have different goals, but just make sure that it's at some point you're only focusing on that and many times like if it drags too long ultimately just reconsider whether you should be fundraising or not too many founders just think of fundraising as, as the way to prove that their startup is successful and that's just absolutely not true
0: yeah do you think a lot of people raise money that don't necessarily need to raise money or they're raising too much money or
1: yeah i mean that's probably true for not sure if most but a lot of founders yeah absolutely
0: yeah i feel like it's just common because we see also well one you hear about it you're like this company raised this much money or their series a was 100 million dollars or whatever and you're hearing all of these numbers and all of these startups and these successful companies that are raising money and then you see shows like shark tank or you know things like (laughs) that that's like that's what you think investing is or talking to investors is like and i think it can get kind of confusing like you think like okay i guess i need to raise money and like you kind of just put a price point on it and hope to, yeah. that that helps you. But I think if you don't have a plan, you can have $10 million to grow your company. But if you don't have a plan and you don't have a what you're going to do with that company, how you're going to make that money back, like I feel like it's just not going to work. You know, like I, yeah. a lot of people, I feel like do that.
1: There's so many better things that you could be doing instead of raising money if you don't need the money, right? Mm-hmm. Like if you're just starting, if you don't really have something people want, focus on that right like build product talk to customers iterate understand what people want and make sure that you're optimizing towards that goal
0: it definitely takes up a lot of time I feel like and I totally agree that if you once you're in that mindset it's really hard to do anything else like you really have to focus on that because it's like a full-time job just trying to it is
1: a full time job. fundraising is not easy so it definitely should be a full-time job and the good thing about you being on fundraising mode or not is that ultimately if you are you'll make sure to finish it as quickly as possible so that ultimately you can go back to those things that matter more. Yeah. If not you're just dragging it along.
0: What are some tips that you have for like getting in front of angel investors or VCs or you know like if you're just let's say you don't have the connections already how do you smart network like kind of like we were talking about and actually get yourself in front of them?
1: It's hard, right? I think I mean sadly like network is like fundraising and being connected to investors. Is just one other example of those that are a little bit more privileged than All everyone right. else. Right. Um, so honestly, you just need to carve your way through, um, a lot of like cold, I, I don't know. There's, I think for, for founders that don't have a network of investors, probably their best superpower in that case is just other founders that they know, like, not, necessarily, not, not all founders know investors and are very well connected in that way. Most founders have other friends that are also founders. And in a lot of scenarios, those other founders have raised money in the past and know some investors, right? So if you don't have the, that network, the best way to build it is through other founders that you already know. Um, and ask those founders that believe in you to get, be, get introduced to the investors that believed in them kind of thing. Um, and if you don't even have that, if you don't have a network of founders, building a network of founders is much easier than building a network of investors, right?
0: Mm-hmm. Totally. And also, I mean, I think with reaching out to people, you don't, it obviously helps if you know people already, but there are now so many ways that you can reach out and form connections on your own. I think like you can form connections by LinkedIn, you can form connections on social media, even I mean, emailing, like, I think that now the world has gotten a lot smaller, and it's easier to reach out and like form those connections. And even in your community or your college, or, you know, just asking now is the time to like, (laughs) ask people that like, you think might know someone to like, set up that intro.
1: (laughs) No, that is absolutely true. Typically, we believe we have a worse network than the one we really do. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's always an entry door, there's, if you, if you're shameless and are unwilling to to burn all bridges when it's necessary, you're always gonna find that entry door. I 100 percent agree with that. Um, I just think that like the in terms of like practical advice, just like I'm sure you know other founders, and those founders probably know a ton of investors. At least one of them do, and that's just the best way to get an intro email to an investor that will take it seriously. Because if you also think about it, investors are getting so much inbound and called emails, an investor will take. Uh, a warm intro from a founder they already invested in to meet another founder a lot more seriously than this random person just reaching out oh, to them totally. out of nowhere right um, so it's probably going to be a lot more effective than just sending like this call message via linkedin or stuff like that yeah directly to them
0: definitely and what are you excited to see more of in the future what are what do you hope to see more of in the future in the term in terms of startups
1: i'll answer it at, at, at a personal level but it's, it's a tricky question because i hate social media and i've like before I started XX, like in my mind, like if a few years ago you asked me like, what are you gonna build? If it like now I'm building XX, but before, like if I would have just started my own company, I always said like I wanted to really find social media and stuff like that. So I was always like extremely passionate about that because I just knew how toxic it was in my own personal life. That I kind of like I have a very weird relationship with these apps. Like I delete them, I download them and some so many times I'm spending like tens of hours more than I should. And other times I'm just trying to stay as far away as possible from them. So I definitely think that social media just has become like a huge component of our lives. Mm-hmm. And I wish we could find alternatives in which we can have a healthier relationship with them or gain a little bit more real value from the way we use them. So I was always interested about that. But typically when founders are trying to do that these days, honestly, it's the, it's the ones that are least believing because it's such a hard problem. And once you learn a little bit more about like human nature and all that stuff it almost feels like a an impossible thing to avoid like it's ultimately like how how people are wired this idea of like being mindless and all that stuff like it's a lot of like things that we actually want mm-hmm. like so many more times we want to be mindless and not really present uh, and stuff like that and you ultimately learn that you need to develop like your own self habits of like how do you build develop that healthy relationship with social media in the first place but i mean if if someone is actually having like a very brilliant noble approach to the way social media has been built and uh, is building like a version that actually does that and understands all of that aspect of human nature and habits and is using that for 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 a better version of what what what's currently out there i would be extremely intrigued
0: mm-hmm.
1: but yeah uh, i don't know
0: yeah healthier social media
1: yeah someone to fix social media. Yeah.
0: Did you watch the social or what is it called the the Netflix documentary on social media? I forgot what it's called. Yeah.
1: No, I, the yeah, the one of Cambridge Analytica.
0: Yes, I was like
1: It's insane. Oh
0: my god, they literally
1: Yeah, yeah. We're
0: controlled by them. Like. do <laughs> no, They like sure. totally know what we're going to do, what we like. I mean, I get so many like targeted ads on Instagram and like they know exactly what to show me. They know exactly what I need to purchase and it's honestly Mm -hmm. very scary I've set limits on myself so I have like limits on my iPhone now on how long I can spend on social media yeah and I really try my best to stick to it
1: for sure it's a very scary thing yeah it's a very scary thing
0: totally and what's another industry I guess that you would say the XX is excited about
1: yeah so that's that was more like at a personal level because honestly like most of the startups that apply are trying to redefine social like honestly, that's a very challenging market and right. most likely they don't have a unique insight and most likely uh, they have a very hard time ahead. At a at an XX level, I think like, I just like when founders are working on something that is just non-obvious, right? Mm-hmm. Like when when you have so many founders that are applying to to the program, you, you obviously realize about specific trends or most of the founders are working on very similar things that are like the conversation at, at a at a, at a much larger scale. Right. Um, so one is like redefining social media or stuff like that. And that's like the easiest path founders can, can go to, but it's just so f-ing cool. When you come across this startup that is trying to solve a very non-obvious, like a problem that only, only you only discover when you, when you're facing it yourself or because of their own life experience, or because they spent a lot of time, time trying to like discover uh, an interesting market or an interesting problem that they want to work on and it's just cool right like i don't know I, I, there's no specific industry xx is not focused on anything in particular mm-hmm. uh, but obviously if you're working on something that is uh, a lot more noble a lot more non-obvious and just something that people are not necessarily talking about quite yet um, then obviously you have some kind of advantage versus everyone else that is trying to solve for the same one thing
0: yeah yeah definitely before we go, what is some of your best advice that you would give to a startup that's applying to an accelerator program or kind of just starting out and they're, they're a first time founder? Like what's some of your best advice?
1: I think the best advice for that is ultimately not related to that. It's more focused on just make sure you're building, uh, focus on building the company and focus on the right things. And if that's clearly true, that that will come across in anything that you're doing in a conversation with investors, in a conversation with future employees or stuff like that. So when you're just starting, going back to that idea of networking, there's just so much noise. There's so many things that you could be doing. And honestly, only a few of them are actually the correct ones that you should be focusing on. So focus on those. Make sure that you're building this system, this process towards product market fit. And are really trying to be mindful about what people want, and it's such a overstated uh, phrase, but it's still so important because um, you need to be working towards that goal. Ultimately, like the only way a startup will truly grow is if you build something people want in a market that is big enough for for your company to grow to to incredible sizes. So have that process. Try learning from 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 that system. Try gathering data. Try like discovering new things through that journey and just ruthlessly focus on what gets people excited about what you're trying to build. Make sure you're getting feedback from the right places. Make sure you're getting the right users. When you only have 10, you want 10 valuable users, not 10 users that just were the first 10 people that said, yeah, I'm I'm happy to use that product kind of thing. Just be ruthlessly focused on the things that matter to you, be happy to like ignore some users that were the first adopters because they don't add as much value as that one specific person that you always had in mind. Make sure that you're not taking a feedback from people that don't really understand your company too seriously. Maybe you it's an investor, maybe it's just one mentor. So many, like you spent so many hours, hundreds of hours thinking about the idea that you're trying to solve for. Either mentors or investors will only spend like 30 minutes tops trying to really comprehend the same. Worldview that you you that you have, and obviously they won't get it that fast. Mm-hmm. So obviously they have a lot of advice, but focus on the generic advice, perhaps not on 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 those comments as like, oh, I don't really believe in this. You should be doing something else kind of thing right. and find people that will support you through through that journey as well.
0: yeah, that's great advice. I mean, I think that a lot of people can apply that. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah. And where can they find the xx? When's your next? I know the applications just closed, but do you do one a year,
1: two a year? What does that look like? Yeah, so again, I was, I was going back to like, we're just starting. We used to do the batches every nine months. Now we're doing them every four months. We're probably going to continue doing that. Um, so the, the, the batch, the applications for the next batch just closed last week. We're probably going to open them again in October. But if you want to be up to date, there's two ways in which you can know that. One, follow us on Twitter, which is underscore XX team or just subscribe to our newsletter, which you'll find in our website, xx.team. And we'll definitely let people know there whenever we're opening the next applications.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on my podcast.
1: Thank you for inviting me.
0: Thanks for listening to this week's episode of The Real Real. I hope that you enjoyed and don't forget to rate, review, follow, or subscribe on your favorite podcast app. You can follow me personally on Instagram at Natalie Barbu and the podcast at The Real Real Podcast. I'll see you next Monday.